The book of Hebrews is known as the better book. In other words, it's a comparison of things from the Old Testament into the life of Christ. Not just the New Testament, but specifically looking at the Lord Jesus Christ in comparison to the priest or the offering, the sacrifice, uh, the blood of, of the Old Testament animals, all of those, comparing them to the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is better. And that's what the book of Hebrews is all about. Uh, this conclusion, what we're seeing in this particular book, is actually a prayer, if you will. And this prayer is that the God of peace, it's almost like a cry that He would bring these things to pass inside of each and every believer. And that's where the conclusion is to the one that's worthy of the glory is forever and ever. Amen. And that peace that comes and all through the atonement of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, and talks about in verse number 21, the, the maturity, the restoring and repairing of you will, if you will, of you and I, so that we can actually work for God and do His will, and then we are able to do those things which are pleasing in God's sight. That's what we're going to talk about today, to summarize it all. And you say, why this verse? Well, this verse, uh, actually verse 21, is the verse that I look at as the theme for this year. As I was reading through the book of Hebrews, I came across this verse and I thought, there it is. And there are other verses that we could go to that kind of summarizes, if you will, also what we're looking at as a theme this year. But this year we're looking at maturing. We're looking at developing. And what we're looking at developing is Christians for Christ. It's a preparation. It's discipleship. That we're going to that place where we are, and hopefully by the time we're done with this year's messages, we are going to be better Christians because of it. I don't know if you come, how you come in and how you enter into church, and you know we're getting ready to have church, and you know you could be having you know fifty thousand things on your brain, you know, and and sometimes what we forget is that when we come here, it is to get something from God, so that we go home better. And that's why the preparation, as much as I need to pray and pray for God's anointing and, and pray for God's Spirit to work in and through me, and that I will be listening to the Spirit, susceptible to everything that, the God, that God wants me to say. Uh, likewise, you as you're listening to the Word need to be susceptible. Allow your heart to be opened. The things that we're going to be talking about through this year are absolutely the rudiments when it looks to the, the Christian life. It is our foundations. But the depth of the foundation, you can never, ever look at it all. These things of faith and prayer and, and what Christ has done for us and to, to make us better while we are here and to be more Christ-like is what we are here to be so that we can be a witness to this world. In verse 20, we're going to start breaking this down now. He talks about our God being the God of peace. Do we understand peace? We understand uh, sometimes we have a, a, of a moment where everything is like perfect, you know. Next weekend, whenever Sierra and Mark are down this aisle and they're looking at each other and they're going to say, 
probably with teary eyes, I'm guessing, I love you and I'm committing my life to you the rest of my life, that is going to be one of those perfect moments, if you will. It's going to be one of those tranquil moments. Everything is just right. And it should be. And there are circumstances here that we go through that we say, oh, this is so peaceful. But we're not talking about the circumstances. We're talking about God who is our peace. It's something that happens inside of us. But in this text, I think that it is not talking about just a tranquility that you and I can have. But it is that our God is the God who is a peacemaker between ourselves and Him. And we're going to see it in a little while in Colossians chapter number 1. tells, having made peace through the blood of His cross. That is, that God wants to have a peace with you and I. He wants us to have, instead of having enmity and being enemies of God, He wants us to have a relationship with Him. And that's why He is our God of peace. Over in 2 Corinthians, he tells us that He is the God of all comfort. He is the God of mercy in the Psalms. I mean, He's the God of, a, of our strength. I was at the retreat yesterday preaching to the kids and talked about Psalm 62. He is our rock. He is our salvation. He is our strong tower that we run into. He is everything to us. And we look at our God, that's a relationship that we have. And until we go through and understand these things from the Scriptures, we're not going to be able to make it through a full meaning in our lives. So God says, I want to give you a peace with me. It's a relationship. How is it done? Now, the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ. So, we're dealing with resurrection. And as I've said many times, there's not going to be a resurrection unless there is first a a death. And so that's what he's going on to describe. Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep. You and I were the sheep as believers that through the blood of the everlasting covenant, in other words, the blood of Jesus Christ is that which is showing that he died for us. Then the resurrection came as a result of it. How do we have peace with God? It is through Jesus Christ, his sufferings on the cross, his death, His resurrection, and that's the Gospel. We've described through this past year the principles of grace. God giving you and I what we don't deserve. We didn't deserve Jesus to die and to shed His blood on the cross, but His love compelled Him to do it. God loved the world that much. Then He goes on and tells us that the One who died on the cross and rose again, He is the One who is our great Shepherd. Not just a Shepherd, but He is the Great One. It's also described in the book of John in chapter number 10 that Jesus Christ is the shepherd. We are the sheep. We hear His voice. He knows us. There's a relationship there. And that's why we love Psalm 23, that the Lord is my shepherd. He doesn't say, and the Lord is our shepherd. He makes it very personal that you and I, all of us as individuals, can know the great shepherd personally, to think that one day when we stand before the great shepherd, he's going to be able to look at you and he's going to know you by name. You're going to know his voice. You will know him because you've been listening to his voice through his word. 
All this relationship that's being built is all because of the Lord Jesus Christ and what He has done. Then he goes on and describes the principle that how it was done was through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Now, the book of Hebrews is about covenant. It's about an agreement that God is having with you and I that's unique from the Old Testament. What he goes through and describes in many chapters is how in the Old Testament they would have a priest. There were these places of worship. Uh, you know, uh, uh, the blood and, and the animals, all of these things. And as I mentioned, Christ is the better. He fulfilled all of those things. But they were necessary. God ordained them. It was in the law to do them. But they were all pointing to Christ. So this blood that is mentioned here is something that sadly many churches, and I'm not trying to boast of Northside, but we are not ashamed to talk to you about the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I read years ago that, I uh, can't remember if it was the 70s or early 80s, some of the denominations that were going through their hymn books didn't want to have songs about the blood of Jesus Christ. So therefore, they were creating new hymn books that didn't talk about the blood because that would offend people. We don't want to talk about that. It's, it's something that's it's disgraceful for us to talk about. And so they were, were starting to take it out. Well, let me tell you something, folks. Without the shedding of blood, God tells us there is no remission. And that is talking about sin. And you say, is that in the Bible? Yeah, guess which book? Book of Hebrews. And it is that chapter we're going to turn to in chapter number 9 to show you some principles about the Lord Jesus Christ and His precious blood. Chapter 9, starting in verse number 11. And um, just so you know, as I'm, as I'm going through this, I don't have time to develop every verse. So what you have to understand is what he is doing in between the verses looking at Christ, he then looks back at the Old Testament to show the comparison. So I'm not trying to pick and choose what we're looking at. Verse number 11, But Christ, being come an high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, dwelling place, that is not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building. Now notice, neither by the blood of goats and calves. Now notice, the high priest he is talking about, by his own blood, that is Jesus Christ, our high priest, instead of taking the blood of bulls or goats or calves, brought his own blood, he entered one time, once, into the holy place, having obtained, now notice this, eternal redemption for us. So what Jesus did as the high priest took His own blood, went into the Holy of Holies, that's where the high priest would go once a year for that Day of Atonement to have the blood sprinkled on the altar there, the mercy seat for the sin of Himself, the priests, as well as the people. And Jesus said, on behalf of all the world... He took His own blood, not the blood of another, but finally His own blood, one time, not over and over. Jesus died once for all, and His blood was shed on the cross for us. It was taken to the very holy of holies of heaven, and there given for the redemption, that is to purchase the world back to Himself, if you by faith put your faith, excuse me, by faith, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ that He did this for you, He will save you. And then verse 14, how much more shall the blood of Christ, comparing them to the Old Testament, 
who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, purge your mind or conscience, notice this, from dead works to serve the living God. And that's what this year is about, folks. It is time for us as Christians to serve our living God. It is time for us to live out what God has already done for us. And because He has redeemed us, we should be motivated to serve Him. Want to serve Him. The blood was shed. He is our New Testament. And look at verse number 16. For where a testament is, there must be also the necessity be the death of a testator. For a testament is, a, is of force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is no, has of no strength at all while the testator lives. So what he's talking about is this. There was an Old Testament, and the Old Testament was based on not a man dying, but animals dying. That was the agreement between God and man. Now, in this covenant or agreement, this testament between God and man now, he is saying there, there is something that is designed, and that is not that an animal would die, but my own son is going to die. And that testament did not come to pass, just like a will does not come to pass until that person dies. That's why Jesus had to die on the cross. His blood had to be shed so that the new agreement between God and man would not be through any other way or means, but by the one, and that's the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So since Christ died, the agreement is finally in full. Now follow me. Not that the old was bad, but it fulfilled what the Old Testament could not do. And so what happens is this New Testament... When Jesus died on the cross, since the old couldn't do it, it revealed Christ. He died for all testaments, for all mankind, for all of the ends of the earth. Jesus Christ died for Abraham, for Moses, for Adam, for Eve. Because they could not, in that through their works, save themselves. They failed. They needed forgiveness. And it was a body that Jesus Christ was giving that God was looking forward to. Verse 22, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. So in other words, just like the old, so is the new. Verse 23, It was therefore necessary that the patterns of the things in the heavens... Now that's... What God is doing spiritually, going on, the real McCoy, in other words, should be purified with these, but, in other words, it wasn't them, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. There's your word better in the book of Hebrews. Now notice, for Christ, verse 24, is not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are the figure of the true, but in heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not yet that he should offer himself off as the high priest entered into the holy place every year with blood of others. Then must he off have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world has he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. It is appointed unto him and once to die. But after this is a judgment. So Christ once offered to bear the sins of many, 
And unto them that look for Him shall He appear the second time without sin. That's the old nature that He died on the cross with unto salvation. He's coming back as Prince, King, High Priest. He's coming as the One. The promised One. Sorry I get a little excited when I read these verses. These are very, very powerful verses to me. Because God is trying to show us that Christ has taken care of it all. The redemption process, His blood, His sacrifice, all of those things were done on our behalf. And when we stop and we boast about our actions and reactions in life, thinking that we justify ourselves, it is as though we are spitting on the face of Jesus Christ like they did in, in the time of Christ because we are saying your sacrifice wasn't enough. I've got to do it myself. And what we have to understand is there's a day appointed unto man once to die. And we are going to die outside of the Lord Jesus Christ's return, in that moment, you are going to be judged either death or life. You're going to go to heaven or you're going to go to hell once you die. And that's what he's trying to show is man dies once. Christ died once. He doesn't have to die over and over and over again for our sin. It was a one-time deal. It was enough. It was enough. God is satisfied with His blood. Those goats were... Okay, that's fine. Let's just get through because they're picturing the one I'm looking forward to. Jesus is not on the cross. And that's a key to what we believe. We have a cross up here, but we do not have a figure of Jesus there. He is not still dying. He has already once died and rose again and then ascended 40 days later into heaven. And that's where He is at. Now interceding for you and I. He is our great shepherd. Who by His own blood gave His life, if you will, for you and I, the sheep. The blood of Christ is powerful. The old songwriters, when they brought up the subject of the blood, talked about and, and used adjectives to describe it like there is Power in the blood. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And so that's what we glory in. That's what we boast in. Not ourselves, but what Christ has done for us. And so this becomes not a temporary, but in, instead an everlasting covenant between God and man. Now listen, that's why in, in heaven someday, as believers, we are going to be there with a brand new song that is going to be sung in heaven, and the song is, Worthy is the Lamb. Principle the one who died on the cross that was slain for you and I, He is the one worthy of worship, none other. And when we get to heaven, we will finally be able to empty ourselves and fill up with the knowledge of glorifying God in all of our life. Finally, when we are there, we're going to be able to get it. But here, but here we get self in the way. He, he does all of this for a purpose in verse number 21. Now the theme of our year. The purpose of all of this is to make you and I perfect. 
We like the word perfect, don't we? You know, perfect, perfect. Uh, but I'm back. I'm sorry. I should have told you. I'm back into the Hebrews 13 text, verse 21. Make you perfect. Now, when you and I think of perfect, what we think of is um, you know faultless, and that it's it's like always been this way. You know, we have a perfect tense. It's like it's just it's just there, and and there's times that some have translated the, the word to equip. Also, some of your translations may have to make you equipped, to equip you into every good work. And, and I understand, uh, matter of fact, in the Ephesians chapter 4 text, he talks about the uh, perfecting of the saints or the equipping of the saints, giving you what you need. That's not this word. This word is, is different than that. Let me give you some places where it is use the exact same word. Um, for instance, in Galatians chapter number 6, um, it says, uh, If any man be overtaken in a fault, he that is spiritual restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. And that word restore there is this exact same word. Uh, in Hebrews chapter number 11 and verse number 3, it says, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. The things which are seen were not made by things which do appear. The word framed is the exact same Greek word. So it's translated framed to make it fit. Perfect. Here it is. To restore. To bring back. To, if you will, mend the uh, the in, in the passion play usually have Bert Van Eyck out here and he's mending the nets because they would be tore and so that's this principle of bringing it back so it's all together and fitting properly that it can be used again. God has died on the cross, rose again, and become the great shepherd of your soul to bring you back to a place of restoration, fit framed, ready to be used to work for God. That's why we're here as Christians. That everything we do, we should be fitly framed, put into a position where we can be greatly used by God. So it is to restore, to repair that which was rent, that which was busted up. And there are other places that we can see that it's translated perfect or framed or you know, mended, uh, restored, these type of words. So, God wants to mend your life, put you into a place where you are able to be used by God again in every good work to do His will. Now, let me talk about the will of God a little bit. This is something that has really, to me, become a distorted subject in Christianity. We as Christians sometimes get so far removed from thinking biblically that we begin to, to go by experiences and what you have experienced rather than what is written in the Scriptures. I do the same thing. We're all guilty of this. But some have taken it to a step where they don't even care what the Bible says. 
because you don't know what I experienced. God came to me in a dream, and He told me to do this. And yet, what the dream told you to do was opposite of the Scriptures, uh, something wrong. And people will say, but you don't know what I've seen. And I don't want to see what you saw. We are such a feely, touchy, emotional group that we do not see absolutes as relevant any longer. Instead, what is going on for this moment of my day or this experience that I've been going through and what I received at that point is what is important. But what we have to see is that God has a will for you and I that is involving His work that He wants to do in and through you and I. And it is never away from, the work of God is never away from the will of God. Now, you say, what is the will of God? Well, number about ten and a half years ago, uh, 11 years ago now, I suppose it is, uh, you and I, as a church and a pastor, were praying. And the prayer was, Lord, uh, we need a pastor. And I'm in Pennsylvania saying, Lord, I need a church. Okay? And so I'm praying, and you're praying 500 miles away, and we're trying to put this whole thing together. And we're all praying, God... We want your what done? Okay? Now, the hard part of this whole thing is it's really hard to find a verse that says, Carl Henry, thou shalt leave Lewistown, Pennsylvania, you and your family, thou shalt go over 500 miles and thou shalt live in the parsonage for two years and pastor here at this church and then you're going to move to Bristol and then you're going to move back to Elkhart and and uh, this, is, this is what thou shalt do. I can't. Couldn't find a Bible verse. And you couldn't either. And yet we pray that to be God's will. Because we want. So how did Carl decide this is the will of God? And how does Northside agree that this is the will of God? Well, he's, he's a nice guy. I am a nice guy. He's got a nice family. They're friendly. Okay? I, first church, uh, you know, the dress codes were an important thing. So uh, the one deacon says, well, I, I'm going to vote for you because your wife dresses a certain way. Serious? That's a true story. And, and so, you know, we look at the outside things, and uh, to be truthful, um, I tried not to. I tried not to. What I was looking at was, where do you all want to go? Can I lead you? Will you follow uh, that's Hebrews 13, by the way, too. And so I'm looking at certain things, and and by the way, I hate to confess this to you, but I didn't I didn't read your whole constitution. I didn't I didn't have it memorized. I didn't know you had a superintendent, you know, Sunday school superintendent and the assistant, and what their roles were in the church, and that you had these people and these officers that we're all going to vote on in January. I'm not trying to be unco- I don't care. What I care about is not how many deacons or how many trustees or that you had a trustee board and this and that. I'm trying to find out what y'all believe. That's what I was looking at. You believe in a pre-trib rapture? Because if I come in here and start preaching that and you don't believe that, we're in trouble, folks. 
If y'all think you can work to heaven, and I'm coming in and preaching grace and blood and, and these type of things, we're going to be, you know, you're, you know, you're, you're some hyper Calvinist and everything, and you know, you don't even think in free will or anything. Man has a will at all. We're going to be going like this. I've had them leave. You know, they came in. You know, they liked the church and everything, but they didn't like preaching. You know why? They they don't think that you choose salvation. You, they don't even think Jesus died for some of you. You know, it's a limited atonement. He only died for the elect. If you're the elect, you're in. You don't have to have faith and belief because he gives it to you. And, and you're going to have hiccups you sit under my preaching. You are not going to like that one iota. I'm trying to compel. He says, I persuade men. Trying to get you to agree with God. Reckon in your mind, and then once it's in here, then the faith can come into the heart, and then you get saved. You know? <sighs> That's what's important. So the will of God was based on the scripture. And the, the belief that we're going in the same direction scripturally. That's, that's what we're dealing with. The will of God. Not that, you know, hey, they have a gym out there. This is awesome. You know? Hey, it's cool we have a gym. We can do things, you know. Boy, we play basketball and stuff like that. It's great. But that's not why I came. Because of a belief. The will of God. That is, by the way, the same. For everyone in this room. Guess what? None of you are exempt from giving thanks. Right? D1 people, you know that verse, right? And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you, right? I mean, you can't say, I am not going to be a thankful Christian. Well, you're out of God's will. We always have to give thanks. You know? We're, rejoice in the Lord always. It's a command. You're rejoicing, you're in God's will. You know, th these, these type of things show us and give a, a guidance. I realize that there's things that we pray about and, and we just want the, the direction of God and some call permissive will and there's a lot of different words out there, you know, or there's deep studies in the book of, of Acts with Paul, you know, and the permissive will, the, 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 the direct will of God and all these things. And that's, that's, real, that's too deep for me. You figure it all out and not debate anybody else ever about it again, you let me know. But I know one thing for sure. I know who I've believed in. I know who He is. I know He died for me. And I know for sure He wants me to live for Him. And there's some things that I want us to get away from, and that is to be living by, but you don't know my circumstances. You don't know what I have gone through. And sometimes we say that God wants me to do this, which is contrary to the Scriptures, and you're wrong. That's not good works. That's not doing good works according to the will of God. I have one gal, she was a pastor's wife. I've told this story before, but this is, this is the epitome of what I'm talking about. I mean, this, this is the mindset. This girl went to Hiles Anderson College. Okay, Strict conservative school. Her husband did too. I can give you their names, but I don't want to do that. They were in ministry. Then they ended up getting out of ministry. And then, as usual, they were fighting. And before long, they were ready for divorce court. Okay? This is after years of pastorate. And uh, she's getting in her car, and she begins to pray as she's ready to go to the lawyer. God, if you don't want me to divorce my husband, please don't let my car start. But if you want me to divorce my husband, allow the car to start. This is a pastor's wife. You understand what I'm saying, folks? 
That blows me away to even think, God, don't start my car. Why don't you just take the key out of the ignition and go in the house? You shouldn't be gone there in the first place. But the answer is, but you don't know what he's done to me. Now, by the way, they all remarried other, you know, no, but she remarried. Now, follow me on this. If it was that she just didn't like him, why did you have to get another person into the scenario? You following me? Some of you are going, you see where I'm going with this. You see, there was an agenda with this whole thing. And don't blame God for your sin. It's not, it's not God. This is not God's will. We have to stop and realize the flesh gets in the way of the will and then the work for God. And those would say that that sin are the bad people. The judgmental people. But you know what, folks? It's in the Scriptures. And I believe what God says. And if I were to go off into sin, I cannot blame God. It is my fault. He tells us that He wants us to be mended so that we can do His will, which is revealed in His Word, because it is that very Word of God, even in particular, the words of Christ, by which we will eventually be judged. He tells us about, if you have rejected Me, Jesus talking, and you have rejected My Word, He says, you've got one that judges you. And then it goes on and says, and the word that I have spoken, the same will judge you in the last day. That's a powerful phrase. Jesus is saying, His words are those words by which you and I are going to be judged someday. Now in a few weeks, I'm not sure exactly when, we are going to take a little time to look at the perspective of the rapture of the church in how we live right now. It should be an absolute view for you and I, constantly in our mind, that makes and derives us to live for the Lord Jesus Christ, is because we are going to be standing before Christ someday. And we're going to be judged for what we have done or not done. And so therefore, we want to serve Christ. And that's what I'm trying to get us to do. Folks, uh, the easiest way for me to say it this, is this. This year is preparation in my mind for you and I for the rapture. It's time. You get ready. You say, pretty sure you saying the Lord's coming next year? Uh-uh. But He could. I mean, what we are seeing going on, if you don't have your eyes open to see what is going on around this world right now, if you don't see what Israel and all that is going on in that country, if you don't see something's different, then you're, you're not looking. And I'm not saying that certain things have to happen. I'm not tr trying to create any kind of a prophecy fulfilled. But I tell you what, folks, we are seeing things come together. And it, it's, it's tribulation stuff. It's right around the corner. And for the tribulation to come, we're out of here. So we got to get ready. It's time to get ready. And the attendance of this church might go down 100 people by the end of next year. But I'm not here to build an attendance. I'm here to preach truth. I have to warn you. Paul, as he talked to the Ephesian elders, he had to sit down and say, I did not withhold the whole counsel of God. He needed to teach it all. And these are areas and issues that we must prepare ourselves for. 
it should be in our minds. He wants us to do His will and to do His work. His good work is that which is done in absolute obedience to the commands of God. Let me repeat that. You say, okay, we, we're kind of done with the will. Now we're dealing with the work that we're called to do, the good work. The good work is that which is done in obedience to the command of God. You don't get to make the rolls up. You go to work, the boss says, this is what I want you to do today. And you say, don't think so. I'm going to do it over here. I'm going to do a completely different thing. You're going to be out of a job. You have to do what the boss says to do. Because he's the boss. And our God is Lord. And he is our boss. And he has things for us because he knows what's best for what his cause is. And so he says, this is what I want you to do. And what we do is say, yes, sir. And by the way, this proves some things. It proves some things. You hanging in there? First John. Let me show you a couple things in First John. And I'm going I'm to try to wind this down here. First John chapter 2. After he gives us all that great confidence about we sin, you know, we have an advocate, you know, we have, you know, we confess our sin, all this is done. And then he starts getting into the heart in 1 John chapter 2 of you and I. Verse 3. 1 John 2, verse 3. Hereby we do know that we know him. If we do what? Keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a what? And what is not in him? Truth is not in him. Whoso keeps his word, you'll notice the word now, the commandments of God, in him verily is the love of Christ matured, or here it is, perfected, and hereby know we that we are in him. So what he tells us here is this. If we are going to be doing the right things or to keep his commandments, there is a proof of this. The proof is that we will know Him by keeping His commandments. The truth will be in us. The truth will be revealed in us. And our love for God is going to be revealed. And this is the proof that we are keeping His commandments. This is not hard. If we do the right thing, then we're proving to God and we're showing to the world, hey, I love God and I want to do exactly what He wants me to do. So this work is an obedience to the commands of God. And it is also, now follow me, the work of God is that which is done by faith found in His Word. So, he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel, so therefore we support missions. This is a faith-based work. You come in here, and you know, an hour ago, we had an offering. And by faith, you gave a portion of your money into the offering plate, Trusting that God is going to be honored and glorified and you sacrifice to worship God by faith. You didn't see that money as soon as you go in, go right up into heaven and honoring the Lord in His presence. And guess what? It did. You know, everything we do is by faith and it is in conjunction with the Word of God. And it shows your love for your Master. So these are, these are things that we do to show God we we, we believe Him, and that is to do good works. And so I put a little list here. In other words, if I'm going to show God I love Him and do good works and find things in His Word, if I were to address you husbands, what is God's command to you? To do good works as a husband. That is your role. God says in Ephesians chapter 5, Husbands, love your wives. doesn't say if you like to. It doesn't say only if you have a good wife. 
It says, love your wives. This is a command as compared to Christ and His love for us. He says to the wives in the same text, here's a real, uh, here's, here's one that is loved this day and age. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. That's popular. They might stone me on the way out. I might have sliced tires out there just by saying those words. Who do you think you are? You think men are better than women? We have to... You don't understand the word submit. But ladies, you yield yourselves to your husbands. This coming year, we will have a new president. We will yield to his commands. He's the president. That's popular. What do you mean? He's our president. You know? You get a new officer in town and he arrests you because you did wrong. Guess what? You did wrong. You didn't obey the laws of the land and you get yourself in trouble. Now, if it goes against God's word, then we obey God, not man. This is really easy, folks. Okay. Uh, children. Everybody loves this one. Ephesians 6 tells us children do what? Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. We love that. We have zero problem with that one. Okay. For work, those of you who have gone through Discipleship 1, if you haven't, see Jeff Rizuko, the guy, the handsome guy that was up here helping us out this morning. Uh, in that, you'll see a whole book on how to work. And as you work in your relationship, you are to work as unto Christ. You're to look at your boss as Jesus and submit and yield to Him, even if your boss is your husband. I have one lady said, well, this is really hard. I work for my husband, you know, it's like, I got, I got to listen to this guy, not even at home, but at work, man, it's really tough. That's key. We're to yield the leadership. By the way, that's in this, you know, Hebrews chapter 13 also. It, it brings up that principle in verse 17. Obey them that have the role over you. Submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give an account. They may do it with joy, not with grief, for that's unprofitable to you. So yield the leadership. Um, you know, I'm thinking about money. You know, this is a big issue of the day. Uh, by the way, pay your bills on time. Dennis Witt will say, thank you, preacher, for saying that one. He always says, we teach on money. Please, every time you can, put in here. Good works. Good works. You'd be surprised how many Christians rack up bills and they think, oh, they'll just float away. They're gone and I won't have to deal with them. Uh, Hello? If you have this sitting in your room and you put it on a credit card, those people actually expect you to pay them. Isn't it amazing? He thought it was free. It's not free. You know, you buy something, you pay your bills. And then it actually helps if you do it on time because that gives you a good reputation. Hence, good credit. Why would a Christian have bad credit? Because they're not paying their bills. Not a good reputation. I've told you, you're not going to like me by the end of this year. Do good. Be a nice guy. We're supposed to be people that are known for kindness. You know what I mean? You say, preacher, you're not being very kind from the pulpit today. I know. But I love you. You know? Just look at life. You say, you know people that are examples that live for the Lord and do good works. And you know Christians out there that are nowhere land. You don't want to follow their example. So what we're trying to do is get Christians to follow Christ, develop them in that area, that we at the end of the year can say, hey, um, you need help? Go follow this person right over here because they're following Christ. That's what we want to be able to do. We're developing Christians for Christ. 
so that you can say, be followers of me as I am also of Christ. Lord, we love you. Your word is powerful. It gives us directions in all points of life. Lord, forgive me and forgive us where we fail you in not believing your word. Lord, we thank you that you have created in us an ability to serve you through Christ. And I pray, Lord, that through this year, as we develop one another in your word for Christ, the powerful things are going to develop in our lives, in our homes, their monies, at work. And it's going to affect this community. I believe that. Lord, I wouldn't be preaching it. Lord, we need to be a light. And as darkness is, is ever darker with each day, it seems like, help us, Lord, to be light, to bring joy, to bring life into the lives of others. Lord, help us to obey Your Word. Help us, Lord, even if we don't understand it, to obey Your Word. Lord, help us, and we will thank You for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let's stand together.